Hello, everybody, and welcome back to That Reminds Me Of. Today, we are talking about a new film that you can watch on Google Play or any of those streaming services called Light of My Life. How are you, Doc? I'm very well, Baron. How are you? Really good. Doing great. Isn't that funny? I've got on my piece of paper here, Let There Be Light. Somehow, I was thinking... It's called Let There Be Light instead of Light of My Life. It has, one of those, it has one of those titles. I keep getting it mixed up in my head. There's something that's not very memorable about Light of My Life, and I can't Jeez, figure out good, why. Not a good start. No. Uh, but I know it's not called Let There Be Light, but that's what I wrote. So, <laughs> But it has we'll a religious through. theme to it at some point. We can talk about that. But before we get into the film, what have you been up to? What's going on? What have I been up to? I have um, been... Very busy at work. Watched the footy today for a bit of relaxation. That's about it. I, I went for a run today as well. Lovely. There's not much we can do, is there, really? There's so little that we can do in lockdown 2.0. It's a bit depressing. However, there, it was nice and sunny today, so I took the girls out for a walk. That was good. Mm. With your a mask? Long walk. Masks? With my mask on. I wear one of those sort of neck bandana things that you can just pull up. A uh, bit easier than a mask. Pull up when the cops drive past. Correct. It's probably not as official as a mask and probably doesn't really stop any COVID-19 at all, but it makes me feel better and it makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. So in the past, you'd get pulled up if you were wearing a mask. That's now right. You, now you do if you don't. It's the opposite. Not. Yep. You can walk into shops with that mask. Nobody stops you. In <laughs> fact, everyone feels better about the fact that you're wearing the mask now. I watched some movies this week too like that were unrelated to the podcast just because Wendy didn't want, want to watch the ones that I wanted to watch. Oh, really? So we, we chose some others and got some really good ones. First of all, you need to subscribe to Canopy. Never heard of it. Which is, is the greatest of the streaming apps or really? whatever you call them out there. All you need is a library card. Oh, my God. I think I do have this, but I've just never looked at it. Well, have, have a, a library look. card. Have a look, my friend. All you need is your library card. You log in with your library credentials. You get access to five five movies and it's all indie, art house, classic, just the best the best range you've ever seen. What's I so special it. about it? Look, it's the one that I nearly found the um, Korean version of Old Boy on, uh, but I think it was there once but isn't anymore. Right. It's got like a million of the Hanukkahs. It's got a whole lot of the Hitchcocks. I think I watched a couple, but one of them was Dementia 13, which is Francis Ford Coppola's one of... His early films from the 60s, horror, black and white, and just really creepy and different and good. I had no idea. I've had this service this whole time and I haven't used it at all. It's a it's a ripper. So just look it up. I don't know. I think COVID just has sent me into a bit of a spiral of, of uh, self-evaluation. So I've been doing that the last week, just wondering where my life is heading. I'm, you know, I'm nearing 40 and uh, there's just so much to think about when you're trapped inside your apartment all day long, every day, you know. Has it all been hard evaluation work or have you actually got out and, you know, started a business or <laughs> done something No, specific? I've done nothing like that yet. Just <laughs> Probably nothing will come of it. <laughs> just have it, Just had a few sleepless, sleepless nights and uh, a whole bunch of navel gazing in, I guess, the face of what does life mean uh, it's weird like when, when you get things sort of boiled down to just i'm at home today mm. and i'm at home tomorrow and the next day and that's just what life is now um th there's a lot of looking at yourself that you can do you know yeah and do you like it do i like looking at myself or, yeah, or do you the like looking at yourself yeah uh no not really <laughs> <laughs> it's disturbing but there, there are things to learn from it well I, I hate actually looking at myself like in the mirror that's a <laughs> That's awful, and it's getting worse as we're you know, not really taking care of ourselves. But um, I do love the navel gazing, and I've always said that I'd like to go to go to prison, not for doing anything wrong, but just to just to have be, the time, just to have the time to think. That's so, interesting. You you think you would you would get some some great work done of some sort, or some some great thinking mm, done in that time, even if it was if it was just thinking, but. Yeah, ideally writing a novel or yeah. just reading the works of Shakespeare or getting through the Iliad. And you would think that maybe this time was going to be that. And I think a lot of people went into mm. into this going, well, maybe I'm going to get fit. Maybe I'm going to, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to read all those books that I wanted to or whatever. But actually life has become busier, I think, in some ways. Yeah. It's yeah, become that's... busier, but not in a good way. It's not like you're you're out and about shaking and, ma- you know, making moves and doing all that sort of stuff. You're sort of just busy on Zoom meetings and busy feeling insecure about how you're going to get the next thing done and, you know. I still like it. You're still You're still digging it. That's yeah. cool. I've had this feeling that things are... This is a, almost too obvious to say, but things are really going to change in the world and beyond all this COVID nonsense. But if you think of all the bushfires and the natural disasters and and now this thing comes along, which is a major economic shift, I reckon we're never going to be the same. Like This is a moment in history where the future is just always going to be uncertain. But maybe that's got its good points because maybe that's what we need to change change yes. the whole way the economy is structured, change the way we deal with each other, etc. Like if no one's got jobs, we've got to find another solution for that. Yeah, I've had the same feeling that the world's going to change for, for good. Whether it changes for the better, I don't know. It's really hard to say, but it feels like we're, on a, we're at a tipping point. Mm-hmm. And without making this into a horrible segue, that's sort of what this film <laughs> is about, isn't it? If we jump back to the light of my life, I mean, it's, it's about a disaster that's happened that's changed the world for forever and now people are trying to live in in this new reality i couldn't help but realize that there were so many connections to where we are in the world right now and it felt like we were potentially on that edge of something like the situation in light of my life happening although not quite the same details well we are that's yeah. that's exactly where we are but this was made last year wasn't it yeah it was how amazing that timing is i know that's- that's crazy. If you think of the, the COVID stuff, it's just by chance that it, the disease is what it is. All it is is something that's happened that we couldn't control, and that something could be anything. We've been dealt a random yeah. act of God, it seems, or some. if you're a conspiracy mm. theorist, you might say it was developed in a lab in Wuhan, but we've been dealt this thing, right, that's, that's come out into the world, and it's basically changed everything forever. Yeah. Should we tell everybody what light of my life is about we've definitely given away lots of little hints just now synopsis yes. time. what do you reckon synopsis time and uh you are on such a roll that i think you should start <laughs> okay all right <laughs> sounds good okay so light of my life is you could almost say it's a directorial debut by casey affleck but he has done another film before this although although it's a very different kind of film i would say that mm. this is his first sort of cinematic uh theatrical released style of film even though it never got to uh, the cinemas because of COVID. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. It stars Affleck himself. He's just known as dad. He's just the father figure in this in this film. And his daughter is uh, Rag, played by Anna Pniowski. I can't say her <laughs> name, but I think it's something like that. And in this world, it's a one of those post-apocalyptic survival films where a parent is looking after a child. But in this world, uh, she is potentially the last girl left on the planet we don't know there might be others out there but as far as we know she's the last one because there's been a deadly virus that swept the planet and the effect of it is that it just takes out women so all the women have been taken out and as you we just now have a world now filled with men who are are all saying to each other be careful what you wish for yeah exactly (laughs) exactly that's right and affleck is out out in the woods in the u.s with his daughter he's given her a short haircut and trying to pass her off as a boy However, she's now 11 turning 12 and on the brink of puberty and it's becoming harder and harder to hide her as as a boy anymore. Like it's pretty obvious. You you can tell she's a girl, although she does have features that she she passes off as a boy quite well. And the, the film follows them. It's probably just the worst timing for this situation. She's turning 12 soon. She's just becoming a horrible little teenage brat and not listening to anything that he says to her. And meanwhile, he's doing everything he can to keep her away from other people, keep her safe, keep moving. And of course, what we end up with is this perfect storm of she's now no longer really able to pass as a girl. She's not listening to him. And they're in the most dangerous environment possible, where if her identity comes out, most probably a whole bunch of men are going to descend on them and try and steal her. And that's where the film takes place. And it follows them through a bunch of scenarios as they try and find a safe place. And they eventually have to trust some people. And uh, without giving away the ending, doesn't work out that well. It's an, it's an oft-told story, isn't it? It is. And you know what? You were talking about timing. 
I think one of these films comes out every three years or so. So one of them had to hit it. <laughs> one of them had to actually land at, at the right time to be on point. But this one in particular doesn't just do that. It also has, like you said, a bunch mm. of other little parts of its story that makes sense in the world today. And has it hit? Uh, what has been, been the reception? I, I haven't even Honestly, noticed that. I haven't noticed it either. I, I feel like this film is, has been a little bit unnoticed and a little underrated. It's, it's a really well-told film. Casey Affleck does a great job and it feels like a, a film for the times and I haven't heard a lot of yeah. talk about it. You've given a fair bit away on your views there, but just to say it directly, yeah. did you like it? I did. I really, really liked it. What did you think? Yes, I I really liked it too. I'm pretty sure I really liked it. <laughs> My mind has been mixed up a bit by the fact that I've then gone and watched a couple that it's reminded me of. And yeah. they're all swimming around in my head and mm. all with positives and negatives, better than others in some ways and not as good in others. So that's all swimming around. But I think it's basically a big win, I think. I, I totally agree with you on that front because there are great films in this genre and I've sort of mm. thought about it a little bit. I think post-apocalyptic survival parent-child film is the subgenre <laughs> we're talking about. Like that's exactly yeah. what we're, what it is and there's a few of them, there's a bunch of them that have come out over the years and often they're pretty great. I, I have a real soft spot for this for yeah. this genre. I, I just like them usually. I think I would enjoy telling a story like this and I think I the, the filmmakers that are attracted to this kind mm. of filmmaking usually have a perspective and, a, and an aesthetic that is pretty good. Yeah, I agree. That's my take on it. I don't know. There could be some terrible ones out there that, that I haven't seen, but the ones that seem to come to the surface are usually pretty great. But it's such a human thing to be drawn to it though, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's even if it's done badly, you still feel it a little bit. Mm. I'm thinking of The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead and all the every other thing like it. They're all the same. The survival is usually, you know, they're looking for food and shelter, but they're also got enemies out there. It's just in a in a long long line of good solid stuff. I think there's like a there's like a tribal ancient kind of survival instinct thing that's attached to this to this genre that we can yeah. all understand and and it, it seems to be embedded in us somewhere it definitely is in the current time because you see first instinct that anyone has that there's going to be a, a rush for toilet paper mm. and everyone goes crazy being the conspiracy theorist bunker person i love that that's true toilet paper was like an early sign here Particularly yeah. in Australia, apparently more so than any other country. We just went mad for toilet paper. It's made me think that actually not much has to happen in order to get into these scenarios. In a lot of my life, all that's happened is something like what's happened here and suddenly everything's turned on its head. So, so we should be stocking up. Absolutely. We probably should, you know, I, and I don't mm. think that's a bad concept in general. Just, you know, people no longer keep water or extra food. And yeah. supplies. And they, we really probably all should because anything could happen. I was reading Werner Herzog's book a while back, uh, which is an amazing read. And he talks about the thin veneer of uh, society and yeah, how yeah. he, because he almost went to the Congo before the Congo exploded. And um, I think he missed his flight and the rest of his crew went and they all got killed. And and he, he was talking about how he's realized since then, and he sees it everywhere, that, you know, we all feel quite like society is keeping us safe, but there's actually, it's just this thin little veneer, and it doesn't take very much at all for that to break. And next mm. thing you know, it's every man for himself, complete slaughter, rape, ma murder, mayhem, you know? And it, it's it's crazy to think that way, but yeah. you see it every now and again, little glimpses of it. Yeah, you do. So I thought this film, this film did a good job of portraying that world. I guess the thing that tied this film together, and it was really cleverly done, it seemed every 10 to 15 minutes in the film, there was a scene with uh, Casey Affleck and the daughter, mm. dad and rag, lying in a tent side by side, talking to each other. And that mm. was the real kind of thread throughout the story is the two of them constantly finding themselves in, you know, little hideouts and tents and little houses and wherever it might be, running from 
from potential trouble and hiding out, but they had these little centered scenes where they would kind of lie next to each other and he would tell her a story or she would tell him something, something meaningful from her life in that moment that he would try to understand. And that was sort of where they came together. And that was the whole way through the film mm. to, the, to the point, like the very first scene of the film, I think they're in a tent for maybe eight or nine minutes. Yeah. And he is. just tells yeah. her this huge, long story. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic too. He commented on that. I just listened to an interview with him a couple of days ago and he was asked about the lack of exposition. Mm. It just goes, floats from scene to scene with no description or, or no narration or nothing to... No, like um, looking at the old newspapers scene or um, no. having someone on the radio describe how the world's gone to hell. None of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it's all just these little vignettes. All he's doing is telling a story, but the looks between them the pauses, the intonation, the story itself yeah. are all you need to get the you know get the message across. I had two dueling feelings about it, I must yeah. say. You did? For the Great. most part, I loved it and I thought his performance was excellent. So, so was hers. So I can't really fault it. The only thing I had going in the back of my mind was Wendy and I have this saying, if someone's being really arty and kind of a bit show-offy arty, <laughs> we say to each other, Oh, how does my art move you? It's as though they're asking the audience, "How is my art moving you?" So it felt, <laughs> yeah, it, it felt a bit that. like that. I could sort of see the the actor. I think particularly in that first scene, I loved the first five minutes of it, and then about yeah. minutes six and seven, I was starting to wonder if this was going to work or not, if it was all going to fall in a heap, and then yeah. by minute eight. I was back in again, you know, but there was definitely a moment in there where I got a little bit worried about it. I was like, this is really going for a long time. And I don't know if, if I'd trust where it's going. <laughs> and then he some, somehow pulled it back in again. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. He did pull it back though. That, that was what I was thinking at the time for a little bit, but I, I got over it. Well, and it's I a pretty he... dangerous move, you know, to, to do that mm. first, like out of the gate, you know, you, you, you risk losing a lot of people with yeah. that one but I like the balls. It worked to draw you in, I thought. So do you reckon it would lose people too? Yeah, I reckon there'd be a, there'd be people who would be going, what is this film that I'm watching? Why mm. have we spent eight minutes in a tent? You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> They'd yeah, just yeah. go, okay, dud, turn it off. People who are expecting <laughs> a bit more kind of post-apocalyptic action, it Walking Dead style might not stick with it. Yeah, yeah, true. But it, it worked for me. Um, I was pleased that he sort of punched into really tight shots of the two of them about mm. a third of the way in. His style of filmmaking is uh, is pretty sparse. Like there's not a lot of, you know, cinema magic going on in there. Mm. But it doesn't need to be because he's clearly a, you know, a, an, an actor, an actor's director, I suppose, being an actor himself as well. Like he's playing for the characters and performance. And it, and it works. Yeah. And in the same interview I heard about this lack of exposition, he compared his journey on it to perhaps a normal writer who, who writes a, a work and has to put in little clues in there, you know, not just to the audience, but to the actors and the directors, you know, what you're actually hoping the outcome to be. And That's interesting. They, they might embed in the words something to get meaning across, whereas because he's written it, he, and he knows he's going to act it, and there's only him and another actor. Mm. Uh, they don't have to do that. They can do the same in a look or whatever. I uh, love that, man. That's that's that's. There's so much freedom in that to know yeah, that you don't yeah. have to try and get someone else over the line with the script. The script yeah. is a becomes a technical document. Then, like it becomes, you can be as bare bones as you want because you know what you want to do with it. That's right. I'm, I'm sure you would have had this feeling where you're writing something and just, you know, I'm I'm putting this out for funding, and they're yeah. not going to get that. I what I want to get across is such and such. Absolutely, and also I, I have a strong feeling whenever I'm writing something that I'm trying to convince other people that this is a good mm. film. So you're 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 thinking like, oh, are they going to like this? How can I how can I write this? to convince them that the vision is there. And while I'm doing that, I have this strong feeling inside of me that if I'm a writer-director, I want to have freedom to have the script take you part of the way there. And then when you're in the in the scene, in the moment, with working mm -hmm. with the actors, that you will be able to take it the rest of the way. So 
you know, having everything on paper. And I'm sure there's people that are just, you know, like going, nah, the script is the document has to be all perfect. But I don't see it that way. I think the script yeah. needs to take you most of the way. And then there's there should be a whole bunch of room for you to to work with actors and the crew and collaborate and come up with something in the moment as well. Yeah, because if you've written it, the gold is in your head still, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and sometimes it's like a feeling. Like, you know, I know, that, I know what I want the feeling of this scene to be. I know what I want the vibe to be. Do I want to write that all out on paper or do I want to keep a little bit of it in my mind and, and discover mm. it with other people? I don't know. Yep. And yeah. then your film doesn't get funded because they don't realize that it had depth. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they can't see it. They, they don't know what you're talking about. They're like, well, this is a bit, you know, I think I've seen this scene a thousand times before. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, listening, listening to him talk about the process for him kind of won me over a bit because I, I did have that, that niggling, how does my art move you feeling yeah. in my head. And then when I heard him talking about it, I thought, no, this guy's all right. Absolutely. I think. I've got a bit of a man crush on him, I suppose, since I saw Manchester by the Sea. Like that just destroyed me. I haven't me. seen that, it. Oh, destroyed me, that film. It's so good. One of the standouts of the year that it came out in. Um, in fact, I think that was just a really good year in general. But his performance in that is so understated that I've heard other people say, well, he wasn't even acting, but that they're stupid. Mm. He, he, he was doing a great, he was doing a great minimal performance in that. And he had to for that role. Uh, and the film itself is just like, particularly if you've um, got children, it's hard to mm. watch it without getting your heart sort of ripped out of your chest. It's a, it's a great film piece of art, that one. So what, what bits did you particularly like about, light of my life other than what we've spoken about scenes or vibes i really appreciated the slow burn i was on the edge of my seat the entire time the tension mm, me too the tension and it's weird to be for a film to be a slow burn and also be on the edge of your seat it's a it's a strange experience mm. but the way he from the very beginning built this unease of any moment his daughter's going to get discovered and taken away from him and it runs the entire way through the film until the climax is it's superb. I don't think I've seen any many other films like it that have that same level of just like slow burn tension. There are some, mm. but it's pretty rare. Yeah, I think we might mention we might mention one some. or two, to, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I like how he keeps you in a bubble, really, all through, doesn't he? And keeps us as the audience in a bubble a lot of the time. Like for the first half or so, he's just making it as if everything is fine, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, I think a moment when that gets turned on its head a little bit is where he, when he leaves that poor bloke on the side of the road. Mm, yeah. Where definitely. you think, oh, hang on. He really is a desperate man here. He wouldn't he's have done that. He's willing to do some, some, some nasty things as well. It's, it's one of the first times you see a real consequence. That was an interesting turning point. It came at a, at a point in the film where something like that had to happen their their journey yeah. had to had to change had to get nasty yeah yeah it was good how about how about you any other um any other highlights from the film i really liked and this is a this has been a theme for me a couple of episodes running i think i liked how the violence was done mm, me too that climactic scene up in the attic was it yeah it was just really very physical and you could feel it it wasn't highly choreographed it was just two men rolling around in a struggle yeah it wasn't hollywood it was just blokes it felt very real didn't it hmm. you know that whole violence sequence and there is spoilers in this show so we might as well just say spoiler alert and jump in but they've they've gone from place to place to place they end up in father and daughter end up in this house with three older men and one of them's a little standoffish hmm. and he's the one that rats them out eventually yeah. what a bastard then three dudes arrive and one of them right from the start it was cleverly done because you just see him through the through a window he's mm. a big guy and you know he's going to be trouble and of course he's yeah. the last one to to end up in a fight with casey affleck but the first two it's it's a hammer fight and it's yeah. just horrible brutal and you know there's one thing that happens that just kills me if you're ever in a fight with someone mm. and not that I imagine we ever will be, but if you ever are <laughs> and there's a hammer involved and you manage to finally defeat the first person and you know there's others, don't yeah. leave the hammer and go walking off without it. 
Take the hammer. <laughs> Take it with you. It killed me. Yeah. I'm like, what is going on? Who does that? Yeah. Take the hammer. You know, every film where they leave the weapon, you know, like where they, they yes. have a gun, they shoot somebody, and then for some inexplicable reason, they <laughs> drop it and walk away. I just don't understand it. Who does that? It happens all the time. It does. Why does that happen? I think because, they do it on purpose. Oh, the filmmaker goes, you know what's going to kill everyone? Is if I get him to drop the weapon. <laughs> and then the next fight, he has to do it with his bare hands when he just had a hammer. <laughs> but that's that's part of, I think that's part of what horror audiences love. Yeah. It? It's yeah. the, he's right behind you moment. Yeah, of. that's right. You know, it's when you, the audience. do something stupid. Yeah, yeah, you, the audience, know something that the characters don't. <laughs> cool. Anyway, brutal hammer fight, then brutal just head bashing fight, and then the third guy, the big guy, comes in and he's overwhelmed because he's just too big, which is realistic. The, it is. All of that was great. And you yeah. know what? The film needed that moment. You've got all this tension for like an hour and a half. You yeah. need that moment where the violence happens. And it's I don't know why you need it, but you do. You just need it. The promise of that violence has been there the whole way through. Mm. You need it to be brutal, fast, and and it needs to be done well. And he did all those things. Yeah. I think mm. we needed it to be desperate, panting, heaving uh, violence, which, yes. it, which it was. Although I must say it was, and you said we can have spoilers, yeah, so yeah, everything's on the table. It was followed by perhaps my least favourite moment, and that was the the fact that his daughter came back and did a perfect shot to kill the attacker. You didn't like that? Well, I liked it. I know what, it sort of What about it bothered you? Was it the just the fact that she could do it without any training or just nailed well, it? She'd only had, you know, 2 seconds tra- looking at a gun you That's know, with true. The, with that guy and the, the nice guy in the house and he told her he dropped her out of the out of the house and she was meant to go to the safe place. Yeah. She should have gone to the safe place. Like I, I get it, but it was just a little bit too neat for me. Yeah, I know what you mean. I suppose in his defense, what he's saying is she's been disobeying him the whole time, mm. being a rebellious, almost 12-year-old, but this time it saves his life. I think that's what he was going for. No, that's that's exactly what he was going for. But, but he didn't like it. Too, too tied up. Too tied up. Too neat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, it didn't wreck it, and I sort of got from a story progression point of view that it was a kind of obvious clever thing to do true it is obvious do you think that the fact that she she also winged him kind of helped a little bit with that it wasn't a perfect shot where she just takes the dude out and and they both just stand up and go whoo that was close yes that helped that That helped helped. it did it did drive the narrative then for him to be so busted up yeah the whole uh role reversal her being the carer phase came in which was good. A little obvious, but it's how do you not be obvious sometimes as long as you execute it well? It's true, isn't it? It's true because that is totally obvious. That little twist, Mm. that turn has to happen. Uh, It doesn't have to happen, but it does. It happens over and over again. It probably happens in some of the films we might talk about tonight. It's interesting because, you know, everything else about what he's done here is, is he's made a lot of creative choices. He probably could have done that for the end of the film as well. He could have had her not know how to fire the gun but it gives him a chance to maybe get the better of the guy who's attacking him or the, any number of things could have been different from that point onwards you could count the the plot points the storyline decisions he's had to make yeah virtually on one hand he's barely written a film yeah <laughs> in a way he's, yeah because it's quite formulaic in a lot of ways yeah he's just he's just had he's just created some beautiful scenes that stitch together create a feeling of you know you've been on a an emotional journey with these people rather yeah. than plot points that is often the beauty of genre you know you have mm, you have true. the genre to lean on so you can people know it people know what's coming so you can totally lean on it and then just work within those boundaries and do something unique within it do you know i've been searching and searching my whole life it feels for a reason a good thing to say about genre <laughs> because I, I I generally prefer if they, you know, they don't stick to the, the yeah. template, but you've nailed it. I love that. It's beautiful. Uh, cool. Well, that's one of the things I feel about it. That's one of the reasons why I like it. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's mm. a great, 
great comment. Should we move on to our remind me of? Should we talk about some of the films that we were reminded of watching this? And, you know, I'm sure the more about Light of My Life will come up while we're talking about them. Should we first, just quickly, before perhaps recharging our cups of tea, Yeah. Uh, should <laughs> we talk about our, our evolution in our approach to these? Yeah, sure, why not? Because I, I think we're, we're going to do it a little differently, yeah? And we, we change it every week. So <laughs> as long as you know that we're going to talk about films that we're reminded of when, when you know, when watching the main film, that's, I guess, the main thing. But That's the main point. Um, we decided that it might be fun to know what our films are going to be this time around and give each other homework because we enjoyed the homework episode so much that we thought, let's figure it out first, see what we're both thinking. We'll each make sure we have a unique film to talk about, but we might also just give each other a homework reference to yep. um, go away and watch. Does that sum it up? That sums it up. So we've each given each other one film yep. to, to go away, away and watch. At least then we've both seen it. Yeah. And we can we can do some bonuses at the end if we've if yeah, still... I got I've got, a, I've got a bunch of bonuses that I'm just going to not even talk about, but just rattle off because there's, there's, a, there's a number of classics for this genre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's play, let's play bonus tennis at the end of it. All right. Sounds and good. Just, and see who I bet you we've got a one. few of the same ones. <laughs> awesome. Okay. All right. Drinks. Uh, recharge your glasses and I'll see you in a sec. All right. Sounds good. Welcome Ooh. back. Welcome back, Kim <laughs> Doc. Kim the Doc. Doc Welcome Kimbo. back, Alex the Baron. <laughs> <laughs> so I got my green tea this time. Going hard tonight. Yeah, wow. I got my Red Bull. It's really hot. My Virgin Red Bull. Red Bull. Ooh, Virgin Red Bull. So you still dry July-ing it? Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned last time. I'm thinking of doing hashtag dry winter. Oh, wow. So that well, takes I... you through August as well. Yeah. Oh, that could take off, man. Dry yeah, winter. that's a, that's what I was just about to say. Except that who wants to go winter not having a drink? <laughs> exactly. It feels very post-apocalyptic. Very, mm. the world is coming to an end. Dry winter. I like it. Yeah. So let's talk about what we were reminded of. We watched Light of My Life. We both seemed to have enjoyed it, and we yep. were we were reminded of films, a couple of which were very similar. I was reminded of a million films. I set you the homework task yes, you of did. watching you, you Were Never Really Here by Lynn Ramsey. Is that a name? Yes. Lynn Ramsey. I think you're right. Yeah. You Were uh, Never very, Really Here, starring you were never really Joaquin here, Phoenix. Starring the great man Joaquin Phoenix. Did you watch it? I did. I, I watched it, and it's a trip of a film, man. I, mm. I really enjoyed it even though I found parts of it really difficult to watch, but mm. I like difficult to watch sometimes. And I can see the resemblance, although it's not a post-apocalyptic film. Uh, post-apocalyptic film. <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's not the same subgenre that we're talking about. You know, it's... No, um, not at all. But it is. it does have a, a kind of father-daughter relationship in it. Yeah. Although it's not an official one. In this format of what we're doing, where we, we give each other homework, do I talk about the film or do you? Or do we just both talk about the film? I think setting the homework task means that I'm particularly interested in what you've thought and vice versa when you've set it for me. Okay. I'll give a quick summary Synopsis. of a, a quick one. We've got Joaquin Phoenix basically playing his character in The Joker, but before The Joker was filmed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Um, was he an ex-soldier? Yeah, I think he was ex-military. Yeah. It looked like he'd had a couple jobs in the flashbacks. It's got those sorts of hmm. uh, very minimal, quick flashbacks in there that you, you're actually trying to piece together through the film. But I, I caught yeah. military and maybe police. Yeah, I haven't rewatched it, which I, I wish I had. But uh, essentially, he's had a he's had a tough childhood, and he is now working as a hitman and basically uh, making a habit of rescuing girls yeah, who are who are kidnapped at least at least that's the the, the main storyline is a particular girl who who needs rescuing and and he goes out and and saves her so that's in a nutshell you know what this film has which is really similar to uh light of my life is that it, it's actually formulaic it's mm. sort of around a sub-genre 
that we know quite well. So when I was watching this, I was thinking of um, any of those sort of Denzel Washington um, yeah. revenge kind of films that we've seen before, uh, like Equalizer, Man on Fire. Well, that that Liam Neeson series. Liam Neeson, that? Taken, exactly. Taken. You know, like yeah. the burnt out kind of washed up ex-military guy who's yeah. taken a security job you know, loses someone or has to find someone, he goes all, all psycho on a on an underground organization of some sort. It has all of those beats, but it's yeah. not that film in, in many ways at, at the same time. In the way that Light of My Life is a very artsy version of its yeah. subgenre, this is the same. Incredibly artsy, but in a good in, way. Yeah, that's an incredible description. Like It reminds me also of the, uh, is it M. Night Shyamalan, the, the superhero... Oh yeah, um, Unbreakable. Uh, un- Unbreakable. Yeah, sort of the super superhero movie that is about the person. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Same same kind of idea. Another great reason for genre. See, yeah, look what true. we're discovering. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. It has uh, like a lot of really weird flashbacks in it hmm. uh, that you slowly piece together as as the film's un- unraveling, and that was one of my favorite parts about it because at first of all. This guy's a hitman and he chooses a hammer. Also, there's lots of oh, hammer no. scenes, which is a, a tie to Light of My Life as well. But he's a lot more brutal with the hammer. <laughs> he, yeah. he really knows how to use it. A Light, lot of the violence is off camera though, yeah? That is true. That's mm. true. It's implied and you see the aftermath most of the mm. time, which is inter- which is another interesting choice. And also one I, I don't even know if it is this, but I, you know, being a female director, I sort of made the connection that that's an interesting choice for a, free, for a female director to make. Because a lot of men would go straight to what well, I want to see the head getting caved in, yeah. and and instead what you see is security camera footage or him stepping over a body just after the moment and those sorts of things and quite effective. It was done really well. Mm. Um, you're wondering why the hammer, and then you get the flashback to the abusive dad with the hammer, which is really effed up, man. Like I was thinking, if you were abused by your father when you were a child and his weapon of choice in that was a ball pen hammer. And then as an adult, you become a hitman and go around using a hammer to take out people. Maybe it's poetic. I don't know. There's something yeah. messed up about I, it, though. I hadn't remembered that bit, actually. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember the hammer, but I didn't remember the fact that he was reliving, you know, the past. Yeah. What a tortured soul. And Joaquin mm. Phoenix, he just can play the tortured soul to perfection. It's like something he just does so, so well. I said it just very quickly before, but is this not the Joker all over again? Absolutely. And I, I absolutely loved that film. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Almost the same type of character who you can see that there's almost equal parts, good and bad, in him, and he could go either way. He, he lives with his mother. He does, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's plenty of similarities there. Yeah, he's and, chubby and I, in that one, and then in the Joker, he's really skinny. That was something I I noted uh, that was really interesting, just how how much his body had changed from one film to the next. And I think they're maybe a year or so apart. They're incredible actors, really, aren't they? Yeah, totally. I, I have more respect for them as I get get older. Mm. One thing else I I want to mention just while we're on this film is Casey Affleck directed mm. Joaquin Phoenix in a film called I'm Still Here. Isn't that bizarre? That? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was well, Casey's first film. And so, wasn't that a trip? I don't know if it was a year or longer where Joaquin Phoenix was out in the world acting like becoming a hip-hop artist. And, yeah, and like mockumentary inco- style. Yeah, incoherent on talk shows. and Yeah, incredible. And apparently all all an act. Um, I actually haven't seen I'm, I'm I'm Still Here. I need to see it. Although, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Do, Sorry, is, it, sh- is it enjoyable as, as a film on its in its own right or...? I assume I assumed you had. I don't remember it well. I remember all the everything surrounding it better than the film. To be yeah, honest, yeah, I think I saw a lot of clips for it. Yeah, um, but never saw the film itself. Incredible marketing idea mm. for stars yeah. because it's, it's almost more of a social media stunt than it's a that's stunt. What it feels like, right? It, it was completely a stunt because everyone was talking about, hey, what's happened to Joaquin? Yeah, like he's really gone off the rails. <laughs> uh, Classic. Yeah. It's weird, Especially right? in a world where you have such public derailing like Kanye West at the moment and, and Britney Spears is also going off the rails again right now. Is she? Well, that's what people are speculating anyway. Yeah. To make a mockumentary about that feels, it, it, well, it's just so timely and it just works because that's the world we live in now. 
well, you almost wonder, like it's not too many years ago, really, but it feels like maybe it's a, a bit of a novelty back then, but could you even do it now? Everything's so wound up so right. tightly. Yeah. Isn't it? You can't It's uh, probably not as funny now, you know, like it it's yeah. It's happening on the on the daily on so yeah. many levels. Yeah, it is. Um one one last thing about this film. Mm. So Casey Affleck's lined up to direct his next film is called Far Bright Star. Mm. It's one of my favorite books. Oh and wow. I've had this book on my shelf for years thinking I want to make this film. I picked it up at a at an airport no joke it's an airport book i picked it up read it thought this is amazing i would love to make this film one day and he's got it he's got the <laughs> rights to it and he's probably as last thing i saw making it with joaquin phoenix so they're both gonna be in it Gee i just yeah what's what's what the what's the uh, premise of the book it's set in like 1916 1915 something like that in the in the u.s and it's you know when you still had cavalry soldiers on horseback mm. basically they have mexican warlords i guess or mexican vigilantes or whatever yep. who are making their way up into texas and causing havoc and it follows a a man who he has like a little cavalry troop and they've been set off to go get this leader of this group and they end up basically out in the desert somewhere where they get ambushed and he just his men just get totally destroyed and he ends up alone and needing to survive in the desert. And it's just this bleak, dark, yeah. sparse story, but it's just it's just done so well. It, it's so visual. Like, you know, it would make an amazing film when you're reading it. Mm. Is, is it the one guy that ends up getting stuck? All of his men get taken out and he ends up getting tortured horribly and left for dead in the desert and has this, this horrendous sort of fight to survive to get back to civilization uh and it also has just like a wonderful choice at the end of the film about whether or not end of the book sorry end of the book sorry whether or not he's going to try and take revenge on the men that did it to him or not which is interesting Mm. in itself and what joaquin's starring but casey affleck in it i think casey well casey's going to direct i thought he was going to be in it as well because it's about two it's about two brothers oh okay they're very connected so I had a feeling that the the two of them were going to be in it. Yeah, cool. Well, mm. let's um lock that one in. Oh, episode, when it happens, it's been forty-eight or whatever. I had a moment where I thought maybe it wouldn't happen. It looked like it wasn't for a little bit there, but it's, it seems to be back on back on again. Yeah, Robert both, Olmsted is the is the author. They're both pretty strong, aren't they? Yeah, totally. Um, anyway, we've spoken about that film cool. for a long time, so let's let's go oh, to geez. the homework yeah, that have. I gave you. Okay, so what homework did you give me, uh, Baron? A film called Room, Room, starring Brie Larson. Now, I had not heard of this film, so I was thrilled to have it as homework. Awesome. Uh, directed by Lenny Ab- Abrahamson. Abrahamson? Yeah. Okay, well, straight off the bat, this reminded me of Old Boy, you know, someone <laughs> being trapped in a room. Yeah, that's um, great. The synopsis, basically, is that this this young woman... Brie Larson, we first first find her just in this small room with a child, a five-year-old boy with his hair long because they've basically both been in this room for five years because she was kidnapped, raped, and this is the resultant child and, and he knows nothing other than this room. And she's going stir-crazy and just trying to bring up a, a little boy in a, a, sh- a shed, basically. So that's why the old boy reference clearly just being trapped for ages yeah now I, I had complicated feelings about this this film yeah so tell me i really really loved it for starters all the stuff within the room maybe i just enjoyed that type of thing when they're when they're trapped and you're wondering how how they're going to get out and the plotting to get out was just beautiful and then the failed attempt to get out was great and when they when they do finally get get out they hatch this plan the boy rolls himself up in a carpet and they pretend that he's dead and the kidnapper who comes in every day, every day to give them food and sleep with the girl and all this awful stuff yeah he then <laughs> it's just ridiculous isn't it it is it's crazy but it's happened in the world before right yeah isn't it he takes takes the boy puts him in the back of the truck to dispose of him because he thinks he's dead and the boy has been coached by his mum 
to after the car stops three times then unroll yourself in the back of the ute and jump out um and then you're free and give give someone this note and then they'll find how freaking nerve-wracking was that it was just amazing you loved it at least up to that point yes yes definitely yep yeah are you about to say that maybe the third act of the film the next part of the film was disappointing in comparison to the first part because it takes a big turn it takes a, an enormous turn, and that's exactly what I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> cool. There was a, a very specific turning point where the boy is in the police car and the female police officer works it out within yeah. 15 seconds. Okay, it's got a skylight. Uh, you have to stop three times um, and then calls all units to go to, you know, number 61 Maple Drive or whatever. Yeah. And she solved it and then... Within 10 minutes, it seems, they're at the house and and his mum's there. Like, that just seems so ludicrous to me that I, I, I struggled with it. But I, yeah. I forgave it initially thinking, I've loved this film so far and they obviously need to speed this up to get onto something better, was what I thought. Yep. Anyway, that's... Um, <laughs> <did> you, <laughs> I feel I'm talking too much. Did you have anything no. to add? And no, that's great, that but are point. you about to say, just waiting for the next uh, but, <laughs> but are you about to say that the bit that comes after that wasn't better and you were annoyed by that as well? Because I will yeah. understand that. Yeah. The whole kind of like not being able to get along in society now after being released part. There was enough goodwill that I enjoyed the rest of the movie. So I enjoyed it still. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But it basically turned into a, um, a midday Hallmark telly movie. <laughs> we've talked about uh movies that take a turn yeah but this just didn't make any sense it, it started to just explain everything too much and it, it felt like i was watching a midday movie and i, I didn't understand why that choice had been made i uh, love it anyway did did were you just all for it or i i can understand exactly what you're saying the best part of the film is the first half for sure Mm. when they're when they're all trapped in the house and that's the bit that reminds me of this film the most yeah is that tension and fear of what's going to happen to the two of them but particularly to the child the other thing is that you're right that's a little boy i remember the first time i saw this film well i've I've only seen it once but when i when i first saw it before i did a little bit of research afterwards i thought it was a girl I thought he was a girl because in a similar way, like, you know, young children can look like boys or girls so easily. Mm. Um, A lot of them can. And he just looked so much like a girl. He has a really high voice and just lots of delicate feminine sort of affectations. And I just I just was certain it was a girl. And I just had this awful dreading feeling Mm. that this little girl was going to be the next victim of the man that had, oh, that had kidnapped. No. And it was just, it was with me the whole way through. Even when I later realized it was a boy, I just thought it was genius the way the way that that was handled. It was just done so well. I agree. The second half of the film is not as strong. And I also agree that that bit with the, the female cop, if mm. not for her, they might've never figured it out or like he might've been ignored or something, you know, that bothered me as well. It was unfortunate because it was straight after almost the high point of the film like when yeah that tussle where the kids trying to get away from the the bloke and everything was was really hypnotic it really had me but it's it's still a killer reference for a lot of my life the, the thing that struck me was the kids in both cases had no idea of what the real world is yeah. they're basing their whole education on the parent in in the case of this one when the boys then released it reminded me of there's a poem a martian sends a postcard from home no and it it was in the maybe the 80s or something and there was this whole school of poetry or literature uh that was all about that perception of someone a martian in this case describing the world that they have no no other references Mm. for and that's what it felt like when when he was you know looking around and having to make sense of things that we take for granted. Well, there's this beautiful idea of that, that the room is his whole world mm. and he can't imagine anything outside of the room itself and that little view of, out the window of the sky, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I think the two films for me were felt really tired because the parents are raising children 
in really awful situations and they both have that very close intimate mm. feeling of sort of parent and child trying to figure it out together yeah it was a good film for the most part my reservations about the second half could have been fixed by some by some editing maybe bring Casey Affleck in On board. and just to <laughs> cut out some of the exposition yeah, I love it. You know, like the awful scene at the end when they're in what to me could have been such a powerful moment going back to the room and they just had to play it so on the nose with goodbye, sink, goodbye, this one. And that just bothered me when it could have been done so delicately and left so much unsaid. I'm, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. I think you're right. <laughs> one other quick thing that I, I did like from the perspective of the Brie Larson character yeah. And she did a pretty good job. She won an Academy Award for this. Yeah, she did. It didn't surprise me that she won. It surprised me when I saw that the movie was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. That kind of astounded me, to be honest. I, I As much as I really liked a lot of it, there were too many flaws. Yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of incredible how much the world has changed in the last five years. I think mm. this film in 2015, it was kind of edgy in a way. And I don't yeah. think it is today at all. Well, the start was edgy. I did enjoy it still. And, and a couple of other things I did enjoy while we're on it is, yeah, like I said, the Brie Larson character, when she came out and the experience for her coming into a world that had completely changed. Her parents had split, yeah, and some random old mate is now shaking up with her mum. Yeah. And you're always thinking, oh, my goodness, that is Uncle Leo a bit dodgy? Um, but he ends up being nice. <laughs> Yeah. And then the her father, William H. Macy, is kind of acting odd. Yeah, um, he can't deal with it. Yeah, so even her, like they both in different respects wanted to be back in their in their room. So, you know, by us both talking about our, our homework films first, we almost in a way jumped over the obvious films. And I kind of like that. But uh, shall we talk about some of the films yeah. that were more obvious, remind me ofs, reminds me ofs? however you say that, the one that we both jumped straight to was The Road. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the brother or sister of this film. Yes. It's, so, it's so similar in so many ways, and yet the approach is quite different. I think The Road is more of a traditional uh, post-apocalyptic survival parent-child film, but it's done beautifully. It's done really, really well. I think The Road is one of those films... I can compare it to the Antichrist. You've almost got to have a warning label on it before you watch it. Like, it's so depressing. Mm. The difference with Light of My Life, even though structurally they're incredibly similar, you talk about the the genre and yeah. the beats that they have to hit, but the, the difference is that Casey Affleck is always trying to keep his kid in a bubble and everything's going to be okay and all of this sort of stuff, and it starts with the storytelling. The Road starts with the same kind of storytelling. Like One of the first scenes is almost a mirror of it. Yeah. But the stuff that Viggo Mortensen is saying to his kid is basically this is how you hold the gun to shoot yourself. So there's, You're right. It's much darker. Yeah, there's no hope at all. Like the, the best hope is to keep running and, you know, and, and then kill yourself before anyone eats you. That's incredible, isn't it? One of the things about Light of My Life that I did wonder a couple times while I was watching it particularly where some of the beats were so similar to The Road, mm. there was a moment of, does this film need to exist because we have The Road? Did you have that feeling yeah. at all? Yeah, absolutely did. It's weird to be loving and enjoying a film, but also thinking, but we have The Road. You know what I mean? <laughs> have you read the book, The Road? I haven't, no. So It's I, one of I, those ones that I should read, I, th I feel. It's a pretty easy read. and it, First of all, I love the movie. Yeah, the me road. too. Like, I really love it. Um, however, the book is better wow. and Cormac McCarthy, the the author, has a very unique writing style where it's really sparse and yep. simple sentences and no flowery writing. I've read uh, Child of God. I don't know if you've read that. No, I haven't. Another one of his books. So I've got a sense of his style of writing. It's just the man and the boy is, mm. is how they're referred to. With the film version, it kind of got me offside a little bit Again, with the exposition, right from the outset, there's narration from Vigo in the first person telling the story. Mm. Now, that's not present in the book, and that's all in the third person. And actually, and we've learned from Light of My Life that you don't need it. That's exactly my point. You could easily strip that out just as 
Casey, it's a great lesson. Casey did. Yeah, it's a great lesson. You don't need it. I'd argue if you got rid of it, it would be a better film than Light of My Life. Do you and think with it in, it's probably a close call. Do you think that it doesn't need to be there because the road exists and we know what the film is? Because we've already seen The Road, we've already seen Walking mm. Dead and some of the other ones w- that we might mention. We don't need the exposition because we know like this film leans on point. all the others. Yeah. Or do you not need it anyway? Like, could you have made The Road without it? Well, maybe The Road is confronting and everything that it's trying to be. Maybe it is still feeling the pressure of having to, to have a cinematic release and everyone understand it. Maybe it just had to try harder to fit in. You know, I, I love The Road so much that I would take it over Light of My Life any day. Like, I would just say, mm-hmm. if there had to be one, I would choose that one. Also because it has one of the most beautiful scores made. It's mm, true. just striking. So beautiful. Nick Cave, Warren Ellis score. It's incredible. But like how how crazy, it's almost like Casey Affleck went, I want to make The Road, but I want to do it a little differently. And and like we're talking about the plot points, we've got the the little setup at the beginning where they're sort of in a tent or they're on, you know, then then we've got the flashbacks with yeah. with the mother that's that's died and they're almost treated the same way, like very similarly. Like it's almost the same story, right? And then we've got the close call in the Rhodes case, it's the cannibals in Light of My Life. It's the the men that, you know, charge into the house at around the midpoint. Yeah. And then obviously things go really wrong towards the end and it ends up with the father being injured and yeah. the kid having to become it's, a, it's amazing yeah. it's the same film yeah they both film. go back to childhood homes or you know yeah childhood memories looking over their old places it's almost scandalous <laughs> it is isn't it yeah the strange thing is that you can do that and casey does it so well and still enjoy the film for its own uniqueness that it brings to that well-worn mm. path i guess but i guess with light of my life there's constant hope it's an optimistic film yeah I've, you're I've right thought. And that and probably makes the tension greater. I think I felt the tension in light of my life a little greater than I did in The Road, probably because it is there is a sense of hope that's going along with that, whereas The Road just seems... It hopeless. Just, it's, it's doomed, right? It's hopeless from, from the start. Yeah, you're right. It's Casey's um, character has basically promised the kid that he's not going to die. So there's all, all of that expectation yeah. that... He's got to keep it on the rails with the other one. They can just kill themselves at any time. Oh, man. Good, great film. Good films, both of them. I think there was another one that you had that wasn't homework that you had off the top of your head. I had a few, and we can... This is where our tennis match comes in, perhaps. Yeah, okay, cool. Shoot shoot one back. I'm going to say Bird Box. Yeah, Bird Box. That's right. That's the one. Simply, uh, you've got Sandra Bullock looking after kids who don't know much else. And she calls them boy and girl. Post-apocalyptic and, sort of. Yeah, that's kind of an apocalypse what happens there. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly a changed changed world and they have to follow her instructions to the letter. Same film again, really. I suppose you've got to watch out with post-apocalyptic, right? Because some of these films are, are sort of mid-apocalypse, you know? <laughs> yeah, like they're yeah, sort of mid-everything's-going-to-hell and others are uh, everything's completely gone to hell and this is the new status quo. So, yeah. 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 But let's just call those two things the same thing for the, for this. Um, I actually thought Children of Men, we talked about it a few weeks ago, mm. is a is another great example of one of these films. And it has some of the some other ties in that no, people are no longer able to have children, uh, yep. which feels very similar to all of the women in the world dying. Because yeah. you're, you're, you're left with a civilization that has no hope of, of a future. Casey Affleck referenced that himself. Did he? Okay. Yeah, he said that. He said witness. Mm, okay. And Paper Moon, I think, was the other one that he just reeled off. What else you got? Uh, War of the Worlds, which is ah. mid-apocalypse mid as well. The, the Tom Cruise version, which is uh, not very deep, but again, Father, trying to daughter. take care of kids in amongst um, mayhem. In a world that has very little hope. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I had A Quiet Place. I haven't seen the qu- A Quiet Place. It's the one that came out... I don't know, Maybe it was last year or the year before. They're making a sequel now, but basically some sort of alien creatures have landed on Earth. They can hear sound from miles away, and so everyone lives in silence. And that (laughs) follows a family with young children who are trying to basically rigged their entire life so that they can go around silently just trying to, you know, make food and survive. 
It's amazing. It's, That's it's, so much like Bird Box. Yeah, it's very, yeah, exactly. In, and that one's more of an action horror genre film. A good, a good one? Uh, it's good. It's not as intelligent as any of these films that we've talked about so far, but it's, it's still good. Uh, we're still going. Oh, I've got one. Um, Go on. Hunt for the Wilder People. Hunt <laughs> for the Wilder People. Awesome. With uh, Sam Neill and that charming little actor. Taika Waititi film. Yes, indeed. Back to episode one, Jojo Rabbit. Everything connects. Everything Um, connects. That's such an amazing film. That's a great film. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. I think I watched it as background for episode one, so I hadn't seen it up until then. Yeah, I loved Uh, it. In fact, I need to see it again. Uh, Last one for me, It Comes at Night. Oh, I think I, I feel like I've seen that. Can you tell me about it? It's Joel Edgerton film, yeah. and it's another little indie kind of post-apocalypse. I can't say post-apocalypse tonight. Anyway. Um, <laughs> you haven't even been drinking. I know, right? It's another one of those. It is high on tension. It's really low on delivery in the end, which was my one sort of problem with the film. Hmm. It, the film is called It Comes at Night, and it's promising <laughs> an it of some sort. <laughs> which just oh, never appears. Okay, it, that it, old chestnut. It killed me. It killed me. I was like, you cannot do that. No, that's against the rules. So you're going to make get... a, a genre film with a title like It Comes at Night and you're going to just hold people with this tension the entire way through the film and then not deliver the it? No. So you, you, you just get wind through trees and <laughs> yeah. rustles and noises in the night. And, and this intense fear that they're going to make a noise at night or they're going to the the lights from their lanterns are going to be seen or mm. you know and, and this thing's going to get in and get them and, and it, it sort of tears them apart as a family which is interesting but then it just never arrives <laughs> it's very okay well maybe that's a that's a point in itself yeah anyway that bothered me but the rest of the film was pretty great a bonus bonus <laughs> great uh, my my other ones are finished a bonus bonus is is a short film that hasn't been released yet. Well, just what? How, how do you know about this short film? What's this um, about? It's called <laughs> Evie <laughs> by Baron Alexander von Hoffman. Oh, you're killing me. That's uh, great. We can perhaps cut this out if you don't want to. No, no, talk about it. I don't want to spoil it. But the premise of this little gem, part of it is a young girl taking care of her father. Yeah? Yep, that's right. Yeah. Injured uh, father. Injured father who is useless Casey Affleck style towards the end of Light of My Life. He can't go anywhere himself and the, the girl has to become the hero. And uh, that and was it's probably... post-apocalyptic. And it's post-apocalyptic. So that's probably probably my, my best reference for the night. Oh, that's, that's classic, man. Hey, I can't wait till that film is actually out and people can see it. Yeah. That'll be... That'll make my day. That'll make yeah. my year. We'll plug it again when, when it's out. Oh, I love it. What a great way to end the episode. Yes, I think next time, like we're getting very close to the Melbourne International Film Festival, yeah, sixty-eight point five, yeah, <laughs> that's Is right. Is that what it's called? Yeah, sixty-eight point five. I don't know why it's called that. Do you know why it's 68 called that? Sixty-eight and a half. Yeah, well, well, I, I assume it's because uh, last year was the sixty-eighth annual, and uh, okay, so this is this is a this sort is of half like a, episode, a, a half the festival. Yeah, and it's all virtual, and we've both gone and picked our films. Several yeah. of our choices match up. So we're thinking of doing some special episodes, yeah? Oh, man, I'm so excited about this. So you and I have picked, we've got at least eight films that we're mm. thinking about. Now, how many of those we do and how many of those are become episodes, who knows? But with, we're ambitious at the moment. Yeah. We're thinking that maybe all eight will be separate separate episodes during the festival, which starts at August 8th. Yes. So that's exciting. Because of the way festivals work, half of these films have single screenings and they're just going to be, that's just like a one-off and you will be streaming it this time, uh, unlike what a festival is normally like. We'll be streaming it, but then the other films will be available for the entirety of the festival. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch each film. We're going to, as quickly as possible, jump on and, and record an episode and put it out there. And for half of these films, people will still be able, probably have the opportunity to buy tickets and watch them if they want to. The other half, they'll have to wait till they become available on streaming services, I imagine. Mm. Uh, but it's going to be fun. For the first time for us, we're just going yeah. to be we're going to be watching films probably every second day or so and just putting an episode out. We'll That's be off cool. the leash. Forget the format. We'll, we're right. just going to have some 
discussions about films. We'll talk about what they remind us of, but we're not going to be have to stick to that. No, just have a chat. There won't be time to get too deep on on that, yeah. but you know, I'm sure we'll have ideas for sure. First impressions. That's going to be great, man. And MIF is such a every year this festival is big for you, right? You get the passport every year, don't you? Yeah, I, I normally see like 30 plus films. I've never, never even taken the time off work, so it's all after work, you know, five a day on the weekends. That's amazing. Um, so this, this is a this festival will... that I've always wanted to be in. I've always wanted to film in MIF, and it hasn't mm. happened yet, but uh, we'll be there watching films this time or streaming them. So that's going to be fun. You've been to the festival before? A few years back, I went to a pitch session. That's right. So I got flown over from Perth to MIF to pitch to producers, which was like a speed dating kind of thing. That was was wild. Mm. Very awkward. (laughs) Very difficult, but a good experience. Okay. Well, I think that's a wrap. The next time you'll hear our, our voices, hopefully with the audio working properly. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it'll be be myth related. Yeah, love it, dude. Well, have a great week, and we'll see you all soon. Talk soon. See you, Baron. See you, folks at home. Bye, everybody.